This is Tom Costello. Amid absolute devastation in Mexico Beach, a few structures survived Mother Nature. This newly built concrete home sitting on pilings withstood 155 mile per hour winds and waves. The house was built out of a lot of anxiety and, and, and paranoia to, to build something that would survive. This house stood because the owner had made proper preparations for an inevitable storm. Have you made proper preparations for the inevitable storms of life? Are you prepared to stand before God at the final judgment? So today we're going to look at the words of Jesus and make sure that we are prepared to stand in the storm as we finish up uh, this Jesus in the storm uh, sermon series. So uh, if you've got a Bible or if you're on the online uh, church platform, remember there's a Bible text there, the notes are there. We're going to be in Luke chapter 6. Uh, we'd encourage you, if you're on uh, Facebook, to participate in the comments section, or if you're on the online church platform, to uh, participate uh, through, the, through the chat. But uh, we're going to talk about today, standing in the storm, as we finish this series up. And I think that video we just saw is an incredible visual, and, it, and it's an incredible just example, picture, of what Jesus is going to say to us in these verses that, that we're reading. Uh, so in, in these verses, the, in verse 46, Jesus asked a question. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? And, and since Lord means God, boss, master, ruling authority along those lines, basically he's saying it's a contradiction to call him Lord, but then to say no to him. And then in the next three verses, he tells uh, a really short story to illustrate the point that he made in verse 46. And Basically, he's going to show us that there's, there's two men here, and they both experience the same storm. They're both building uh, a, a house, but they build on two different foundations, and it's the foundation that determines whether or not the house stands or falls. And so, really, Jesus is saying that the foundation of our lives is submission to His Lordship. It's obedience to Him. Here's His words. He says, Whoever comes to Me... And here's my sayings and does them. I will show you whom he is like. And, and this was basically the end of a sermon that he'd been preaching to a crowd. We might call it uh, the conclusion or, or the invitation. He, he's saying, this is what you do. You've heard me. Now what are you going to do with it? He said he's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Now, to try to help us to understand and apply what Jesus is saying, I want to give you five statements and develop them. And really, the first three of those statements are foundational, since we're talking about a foundation, just kind of uh, setting the stage, laying the groundwork. Uh, for the final two, which is really the main point of what Jesus is, is saying to us here. Uh, I, I think this is just such an important text for our lives because it's easy for us, particularly if you're in our context, context here in East Tennessee, you know, to talk about Jesus, to say you know Jesus, to, to know about Jesus. But then our lives can still be falling apart because we're not really building our lives on Christ and on obedience to him. Uh, you know, when I read this, I think about being at the beach and 
um, you know, in a storm at the beach and, and, and the waves, uh, you know, washing up, beating on the shore. And, you know, when waves hit a rock, they just kind of blow over it. They don't hurt the rock. They don't affect the rock. When waves hit a sandcastle, they knock it down. And so the point here is our life built on the rock of Christ in obedience to Him. Or are we building a sandcastle, basically? So here's the first truth, and that is that we are building a life on some type of foundation. Remember here, two men, they're both building. They're building on two different foundations. Everybody is obviously building a life. Everybody is also building their life on some kind of foundation, whether we recognize it or not. Uh, and, and whether maybe it's intentional or not, whether it's planned, whether it's thought through, whether it's purposeful, but everybody is building a life on some kind of foundation. So what foundation are you building your life on? You could be building it on a relationship or some different relationships. You know, the foundation of your life could be family. The foundation of your life could be marriage. Uh, the foundation of your life could be your kids. I mean, that's what some people's lives revolve around. It could be, you could be building your life. Your foundation could be some type of identity. You could be building your life on different kinds of things, you know, material stuff. Your foundation could be some kind of position or job or uh, some type of accomplishment that that's what your life is about. That's your focus. That's your priority. That's what's guiding you. That's really what our foundation is. It could be your religion. It could be a certain philosophy. It could be a guru of some type, some person that you listen to that really guides your life. Whatever you listen to, whatever's most important to you, uh, whatever is, is guiding you, that's the foundation. But everybody is building a life on some type of foundation. Number two, storms are coming to test what we're building. Storms are an inevitable, an inevitable reality of life. I've said it before, uh, and probably if you keep listening to me preach, you'll probably hear me say it again, but we're either in a storm, we're coming out of a storm, or we're headed into a storm. And I'm not trying to be pessimistic, doom and gloom, that kind of thing, but I am trying to be realistic. And, and, and that's life. And sometimes I think as Americans, that we have it so good that we underestimate storms. We think it's abnormal. Like, why am I going through this storm? Instead of realizing that storms are normal and when it's sunny and beautiful and everything's awesome in life, that's abnormal. And that's really something to be thankful for. I mean, we have it so much better than most of the people who have ever lived on the face of the earth have. And most of us, even in this storm that we're in right now, still have it better than most of the people who have ever lived. Now, I understand some of you, maybe you've lost a job, you've lost a loved one, you're sick or something. Maybe that's different for you. But most, for most of us, this is more of an annoyance than anything. And it is an annoyance, but we still have it good. You know, I, I thought about this week and working on this uh, message, my grandparents' generation. Now, uh, my grandparents were all born around 1910. Uh, three of the four of them lived to at least 89, a couple into their 90s. Now, you know, we're not going back in, in, in history and, uh, you know, we're really things were even worse. But just think about that generation. They lived through World War I, the Spanish flu, the Great Depression, 
World War II, polio, the Korean War, the Vietnam War, the Cold War, all the things that, that have happened in the world, all of the things that, it, that, that have changed in the world since then, storms are a part of life. And it may be a collective storm uh, like we're in right now with COVID-19. It can be all kinds of personal storms. It could be losing a job. It could be a family problem, sickness, death, financial issues. I mean, the list could go on and on. But here's what I, what I want us to see in the context of what Jesus is saying here. If it's true that storms are coming to test what we are building, and, and if you look at this passage, two men both building a house, experiencing the same storm, one of them, their house stood, one didn't, so the issue wasn't ultimately the storm. The issue was the foundation, meaning that storms do not make us or break us, but they reveal the true nature of the life that we're building. Did you hear that? Storms don't make us or break us, but they reveal the true nature of the life that we're building. In other words, our future isn't determined by our storms, it's determined by our foundation. You know, and really, that's good news. Because you may not want to hear that some storms are coming, but listen, if, if it's true, and it is according to the Word of God, that our future is determined by our foundation and not by our storms, that means that our lives do not ultimately have to be controlled by our circumstances. Listen, it's nice when... The weather, so to speak, in our lives is sunny and warm and beautiful and perfect. But we can't control that a lot of times. So it's good to know that we can build our lives on a foundation that's stronger than any storm because the foundation that stands is the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Also, we need to remember that in, in the context here that part of what Jesus would be alluding to by a storm, you know, storm sometimes in the Bible is a picture of the judgment of God. The ultimate storm, at least for some people, is the final judgment of God. And one of the questions we have to answer is the question, are we actually ready to stand before God? Because the Bible says it's appointed that a man wants to die and then the judgment. Are we ready to answer there? Will our lives stand at the judgment seat of Christ? And so, that leads me to the, the third truth here. And that is their lives will stand or fall based on the foundation that we're building on. You see how all this flows together? Our lives will stand or fall based on the foundation that we're building on. So really, what he's saying here is there's only two foundations. We can build on Him and obedience to Him or any other uh, type of foundation is the same thing because it doesn't line up with him. Uh, look at uh, these pictures of, of a couple of houses uh, th that are falling, and I think this really illustrates this. The issue with these houses and them falling is the lack of a proper found foundation. And really, those, those pictures, I think, can be a picture of our lives. If we don't have the right foundation, we're going to fall apart in the storm. And so this means a couple of really practical things. It's not the storm that destroys us, but it's the lack of a proper foundation. I mean, think about it. 
Have you seen people with similar circumstances who respond completely differently to those circumstances? It's not about the circumstance, it's about the foundation. Have you seen people with good circumstances for the most part in their lives fall apart? Why? Because it's not about the circumstance, it's about the foundation. Have you seen people with bad circumstances standing strong? Why? Because it's not ultimately about the circumstance, it's about the foundation. If you've got the right foundation, you can stand through any storm. So uh, the, the second then just truth application that flows out of that is that we stand in the storm because we are building our lives on a solid foundation. Now, this means that we can change our future by changing our foundation. I think a lot of times we're looking for a bailout. We're looking for God to rescue us when what we really need is a new foundation. You know, we can't necessarily change the past, but we can uh, repent, we can let go of the past, and we can rebuild in a different way on a different foundation. And so you can make that decision in a moment. You can make that decision during this message today, but then it has to be built every day of your life. But the decision you can make as you hear God's word today is, you know what, I'm building my life on the wrong foundation. I I'm not living in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I'm trying to build my own life, my own way. I'm trying to do my own thing instead of obeying Him. And you can confess that. You can repent. You can surrender to Him. Uh, give Him control of your life. You can lay a new foundation today and then build on that day to day. Just remember, it doesn't matter what kind of house, what kind of life uh, we're building if it's on the wrong foundation. You know, a lot of people, I'm speaking metaphorically here, are building mansions in the sand. I mean, from the outside, for a time, their lives look great. And then it's like, then they fall apart. We all know people like that. Or we know of famous people like that. And people are like, why? And the answer is, the foundation wouldn't support the life that they were building. So, that leads then to the, to the fourth truth. And this is really getting to, to the heart of what Jesus is saying here. It all flows together. And like I said, we had to lay that foundation, but th this is the heart of it. And that is the only foundation that will stand is the Lord Jesus Christ. The only foundation that will stand is the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians, uh, 3.11, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. In the Old Testament, particularly in, in Psalms, uh, particularly from David, and remember David was a king, he was a famous man, he was a successful man, uh, he had a lot going for him, but, but he talked a lot, the Bible talks about God being our rock. Uh, and in First Corinthians ten four, uh, referring back to the Old Testament, uh, and, and this was in a, in a different context. This is when uh, God's people, the children of Israel, were wandering in the wilderness, uh, and there, there was a rock that followed them. And it says that rock was Christ. So uh, God being our rock, Jesus is our rock. And um, you know, in, I was able to go to Israel one time with my dad, and you know, there's a lot of massive, impressive rock formations there. Uh, one of the most impressive, you've probably heard about it in history, maybe you've seen, uh, there's a, I think a TV movie about it several years ago, 
uh, maybe it was a miniseries, but Masada, you know, this great fortress, this uh, stronghold. And, uh, you know, you can see a picture of it, this incredible rock formation. And, uh, you know, it's a picture uh, of who God is, or God is using this picture uh, to demonstrate his character, to demonstrate who he is uh, to us. And so uh, I want to point out four ways to you as we think about Jesus being a rock that this is used in, in, in the book of Psalm. Uh, Jesus is the rock who is our salvation. Psalm 62, 1 and 2, Truly my soul silently waits for God. From Him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. Jesus is the, the rock of our salvation. He, he is the one who came and died for us and rose from the dead. When we trust in Him, He delivers us from our sin and Satan and death and hell and the grave. And He can deliver us and take care of us in life right now. He is the rock of our salvation. Number two, He is the rock who is the only sure and certain thing that we can count on in this life. So Psalm uh, 61, 1 and 2, David says, Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And, and basically he's saying, I'm struggling, I'm hurting, I'm falling apart. There's a rock that's higher than I. There's a rock that I uh, can count on. Uh, the Bible also teaches us in Psalms that he is the rock who is our shelter. The next couple of verses there in Psalm 61 says, For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. And remember, David had to run for his life a lot. He said, I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings, which pictures you know, God just watching over him, looking after him, uh, taking care of him. And then he is the rock who is our strength. Psalm 18, 1 and 2 says, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And so I'm so thankful in the storms of life that we have a rock that we can count on who's sure and certain, who saves, who shelters, who, who strengthens us. And you say, um, I'm strong enough. I don't need something like that. You know, you Christians, you got to have this religious crutch. Well, I would say Jesus is way more than my crutch because I can't limp my way to heaven. He's the stretcher, if anything. He's the uh, giver of life, the resurrector uh, of, of life. I'm spiritually dead. He is my only hope. But, it, but in the storms of life, sometimes we just get worn down, beaten down. Sometimes we get uh, overwhelmed and... Um, you know, it, it, I think I've talked about this, you know, over the last several weeks, but some of this COVID stuff can, can be tough, just the, the, the disruption of life. But especially if your life has been disrupted by some other storm, some other trial. And, uh, you know, my wife has been battling cancer. And on May the 12th, she started radiation treatments, which she's doing great. Uh, thank the Lord. We appreciate uh, your prayers and support and those of you that have made meals for us and that kind of thing. But uh, that day was also our 30th wedding anniversary, which you know I never had any life plans to take my wife to radiation treatment to celebrate our 30th uh, wedding anniversary. It was kind of surreal, honestly. And, uh, you know, I just be honest, I just kind of fell off an emotional cliff that day. I mean, it just made me sad. It was just 
you know, even though I know this is helping her, it's a good, good thing. And just something about it, though, really, and along with some other things, I think just really got to me. But I'm thankful that there's a rock that's higher than I. I'm thankful when I'm weak, when I vacillate, when I'm, you know, like the waves of the sea tossed to and fro by the wind in a storm, that Jesus is sure and certain and He's gracious and He's merciful and He's willing to be my strength and my shelter and my help and my salvation when I cry out to Him. And I'm not ashamed to say that I need that. And really, I believe you need that as well. We need a foundation that will stand, a foundation that's stronger than us, a foundation that is stronger than the storms of life. Like I said, a foundation that will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Jesus is the only sure foundation. But we need to to see here as well, though, that we can build on the foundation of Jesus by submitting to His Lordship. That's the point of what He's saying here. If you go back to verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? In other words, we can know about Jesus. We can claim to have a relationship with Jesus. We can say the right things about Jesus. We can even call Jesus Lord. But if we're not really submitted to Him, surrendered to Him, not really obeying Him, following Him, if it's all just lip service, if He's not truly our Lord, we're building on the sand instead of the rock. We don't have a foundation that's actually going to stand. He actually has to be in control of our life to be the foundation of our life. So how does that work? How can He be in control? How can He truly be the the foundation? Well, let let me show you. First of all, His Lordship is confessed at salvation. Romans 10.9 says, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. This is a biblical prescription, so to speak, for how to become a Christian. We believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, which presupposes, and we put it together with some other Scriptures, we believe that Jesus died for our sins. That He's God who left heaven, came to earth, died in our place, uh, assuming our curse, absorbing the wrath of God, dying the death that we deserve so that we could have life, rising from the dead to give us new life, to clothe us in His righteousness. So we have to admit that we're sinners, that we can't save ourselves, that Jesus' finished work is enough. And and we turn from our sin and we turn to Him. And in doing that, uh, what's in our heart, we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that He's God, that He's my Lord, my boss, that He is in control of me, that He is over my life. Uh, Dr. H.A. Ironside used to say that we cannot live the life until we first possess it. We possess this new life when we genuinely confess Christ at salvation. When we trust in Him, commit to Him, believe in Him, rely on Him, and we express that with our mouth. And part of that, I mean, the foundational, fundamental Christian confession is that Jesus is Lord. And then we demonstrate that through baptism, which is why baptism is the first step of obedience as a Christian. It's how we make our public confession of faith in Christ. And if you've never been baptized, you know, when things were back in person and able to do that, I would encourage you to take that step of obedience. So have you confessed Jesus as the Lord 
of your life? Have you confessed Him as Lord? Now, this doesn't mean that your salvation is then based on you being perfectly obedient to Him for the rest of your life. We're saved through Jesus' obedience, not our own. But we can't come to Jesus and just saying, okay, well, I want to go to heaven. I want a fire insurance policy. I want Jesus to be my Savior, but it's still my life and I'm still going to live for me and I'm still going to do my own thing. Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel. And so as we repent of sin and we confess Jesus as Lord, those things go together. Has anybody ever explained this to you before? I mean, is Jesus truly the Lord of your life? Have you confessed Him or do you just want Him as your Savior? Tim Keller puts it this way, and I think this is a very helpful way for us to understand it. Because once again, our salvation is not dependent on our performance. It's not based on how submitted we are to the Lordship of Christ or how well we obey Him. Our salvation is based on Jesus' performance and what He did for us. It's based on His perfectly obedient life, His completely atoning death. But if we really believe in Jesus, and God has really done a work of regeneration in our hearts, part of that is we're going to want Jesus to be our Lord. Because part of what happens in repentance is like, I have totally screwed my life up. I am a sinner. I deserve to go to hell. I can't do this on my own. Jesus, I need you. And we don't need Jesus just for our eternal life. We need Jesus for our life right now. So Tim Keller's put it this way. He said, I've heard people say I'm checking out Christianity. But I also understand Christians can't do this, and the Bible says you're supposed to do that. You're supposed to love the poor, or you're supposed to give up sex outside of marriage. I can't accept that. So people want to come to Christ with a list of conditions. But the real question is this. Is there a God who is the source of all beauty and glory in life? And if knowing Christ will fill your life with His goodness and power and joy, so that you would live with Him in endless ages with His life increasing in you every day. If that's true, you wouldn't say things like, you mean I have to give up and fill in the blank. Let's say you have a friend who is dying of some terrible disease. So you take him to the doctor and the doctor says, I have a remedy for you. If you just follow my advice, you will be healed and you will live a long and fruitful life. But there's only one problem. While you're taking my remedy... You can't eat chocolate. Now, what if your friend turned to you and said, forget it, no chocolate, what's the use of living? I'll follow the doctor's remedy, but I will also keep eating chocolate. If Christ is really God, then all the conditions are gone. To know Jesus Christ is to say, Lord, anywhere your will touches my life, anywhere your word speaks, I will say, Lord, I will obey there are no conditions anymore. If He's really God, He can't just be a supplement. We have to come to Him and say, okay, Lord, I'm willing to let You start a complete reordering of my life. And listen, that's not all going to get worked out in the day. In fact, we're not going to arrive while we're on this earth. But that's what it means to confess Jesus as Lord. Second then, if Lordship is confessed as salvation, Lordship is expressed by obedience. What did Jesus say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? What He's saying in these verses is we can call ourselves a Christian, but our life, our marriage, our family, our finances, fill in the blank, is not going to stand 
unless we are living in obedience to the Lord Jesus. Listen, we are not saved by our works. We're not saved by faith plus works. But in real salvation with a true regenerate heart, there are good works that come out of us, works of obedience, works of gratitude by the grace of God and through the power of the Spirit that don't bring salvation, but they demonstrate salvation. They show that we truly are confessing that Jesus is Lord. Listen, there's a lot of people who claim to be Christians, but their life says something else. So our obedience is the evidence of the fact that we are saved, of the fact that Christ is is Lord. Once again, we can't say, hey, I want to I want to go to heaven, but I want to do whatever I want to do now. I, I don't know if you've ever seen this picture or if you remember uh, this this commercial. It's a very well-known uh, commercial. It actually came out in 1971, which, uh, you know, I wouldn't have even been one when this came out, but I remember this when I was growing up. So this commercial had to be on for a long time. But uh, there's a man by the name of Zachary Crockett that's written a blog post called The True Story of the, of the Crying Indian. And that's what this man's name, he goes by Iron Eyes Cody, uh, the actor in the commercial. That's what he's talking about. I just want to uh, read you what he wrote. He said, on Earth Day 1971, Keep America Beautiful launched what was called one of the 50 greatest commercials of all time. Dubbed The Crying Indian, the one-minute ad featured a Native American man paddling down a junk-infested river surrounded by smog, pollution, and trash. The camera then panned to the Indian's cheerless face just as a single tear rolls down his cheek. The ad star performer, a man called Iron Eyes Cody, became the face, quote, the face of Native Indians and was honored with a star on Hollywood's Walk of Fame. Long before his fame in the 1970s, Iron Eyes Cody was featured as, quote, the noble Indian starring in a variety of Western films alongside actors like John Wayne and Ronald Reagan. By all accounts, he was Hollywood, Hollywood's and America's favorite Native American. But several real Native American actors soon came to doubt Iron Eyes' authenticity. Jay Silverheels, the Indian actor who played Tonto in The Lone Ranger and Running Deer, a Native American stuntman agreed that there was strangely something, something strangely off-putting about the man's heritage. Then a reporter visited Iron Eyes Cody's hometown and made a startling discovery. Both of his parents were full-blooded Italians. How did he fake his real identity for so long? Apparently the residents of his hometown in Louisiana were too invested in supporting their successful local boy. Hollywood, along with the ad agencies that profited from his image, relied on his false image. Even after his history was revealed, old Iron Eyes Cody refused to admit the truth behind his public persona. He continued to wear his braided wig, headdress, and moccasins, and kept talking about his connection to the Great Spirit. And, and I would say that's really how a lot of professing Christians are. We have a public persona, but we're acting we're trying to be somebody that we're really not. We may uh, try to talk like or act like we're Christians sometimes, but really we're not obeying Jesus and we're not living like He is our Lord. Does that describe you? Or does your obedience to Christ give evidence that He truly is the Lord of your life? Then third, obedience comes by knowing and applying the Word of God. 
James chapter 1. And uh, I just want us to look at something that I think just kind of amplifies and relates to uh, what Jesus is saying to us in Luke 6. James, uh, the half-brother of Jesus, says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save uh, your soul. So he, he says repent and actually receive the word of God. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. So when we hear and don't do, we're just deceiving ourselves. He says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Basically saying, you know, it's like if you just take a glance in a mirror, you don't necessarily see what's really going on there. But, verse 25, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So basically he's saying, it's like, you know, when we stare into a mirror, we can, and, and we really check ourselves out, then we really see what's wrong and we really see what we need to change. And so he's saying, instead of just kind of glancing at the Word of God, we need to stare into it. And the more deeply we get into it, the more we're going to see what we need to change, the more we're going to be empowered to repent and actually obey what the Lord's telling us to do. So if you're a Christian, how much time do you actually spend in God's Word? I hope one of the things we've learned from this pandemic and not having church services, that something that's really true is church, as important as it is, is actually to be a supplement to and really an expression of our daily walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. You have a walk with Him. You spend time in God's Word. If you do, do you just glance at it or do you stare at it? Do you really listen? Uh, are you asking God to speak to you when you read the Bible, when you hear a sermon or that kind of thing? I think a lot of times we can kind of be like, uh, you know, listening to the safety instructions on an airplane. Remember the first time you flew? Because it was all so new and maybe you were a little nervous, you really listened intently to the steward of the stewardess as they gave those safety instructions. You want to know what's going on. Well, let's be honest. After you've flown a couple of times, handful of times, you really pay any attention to that. You kind of tune it out, I think. You know, you're doing whatever usually, and you know, you're, you may sort of hear it, but you're not really paying any attention to it. And that's how we can be with God's Word sometimes. Are we really taking God's Word into our lives? That's what changes us. So we need to see. We're all building a life on some kind of foundation. Storms are going to come to test that uh, foundation. It's the foundation that determines whether or not our life will stand through the storm. The only real foundation that's going to stand is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's by submitting to His Lordship that we actually build on that foundation. The way we submit to His Lordship is by confessing that He's Lord in salvation, expressing it in, in, in obedience, and we obey by digging into His Word and making it a part of our lives. So let me close by just asking a few questions that I hope will help us to apply this. And I want to challenge us to apply this. To not be hearers of the Word, but to be doers of the Word. I mean, to evaluate, is, is our life really standing in the storm? Do we really have a strong foundation? I mean, this hits where we live. You experience storms. Are you standing? Are you ready to stand the judgment seat of Christ? So, first question, have you genuinely come to a place in your life where you have truly confessed Jesus as Lord? Have you really, in faith, surrendered to Him or are you just looking for a fire insurance policy? 
Two, if you say yes to that question, are there areas of disobedience in your life that you need to repent of? I mean, does your life genuinely demonstrate that Jesus is Lord? Now, if we're honest, as a Christian, the Christian life is a life of ongoing repentance. And, and that repentance is part of what shows that we are saved. Uh, you know, we, we, we demonstrate our salvation by obeying, and when we don't obey, by repenting of sin. So yes, we all need to repent. So what would those areas of repentance need to be in your life right now? I encourage you to ask God to forgive you of your disobedience. To ask Him to help you to change. Here's another question to think about. Are there ways that your life is falling apart? That you might be blaming on God. Like, why God? Why, why am I going through this? And, and listen, I try to be real careful with this because, you know, there, and, and I've talked about this even in this series, there's different reasons that we go through trials. And some of them are out of our control, or some of them God's bringing into our life not because we've done something wrong, but because He's pruning us and growing us because really we're doing a lot of things right. But if we're honest, there may be some trials in our life that are being produced by our own disobedience. And we don't need to neglect that. There may be things that we're reaping what we sow, or God is disciplining us. And the way out of those trials, the way out of that storm, is by repentance. And sometimes, you know, we can try to encourage others, and we need to, and we don't need to assume that someone's going through a trial because of sin, but it doesn't mean they're not. I mean, if you're honest right now, is the way out of some trial in your life changing? Maybe you need to wrestle with that. How much are you actually digging into the Word of God? Listen, we can't obey what we don't know. And we can't know what God wants us to do without being in His Word. Listen, we can know God's Word and not do it, but we can't do it without knowing it. And that's why some of you are struggling right now. That's why some of you don't have a strong foundation to stand on because you don't have truth to stand on. You've got to get in God's Word. So I would challenge you in closing. If you're not a Christian, to surrender to Christ and be saved. Or maybe if you would have said, I am a Christian, but God's speaking to you right now. It's just been lip service. It's just, just been fire insurance fire insurance, and you actually right now need to confess Jesus as the Lord of your life. Will you do that? Just there where you are, say, Jesus, you are Lord. You are God. I surrender to you. Take my life. Take control of me. Forgive me and, and make me new. Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead. Come into my life. You're a Christian. And the Spirit of God's convicting you of sin, of areas of disobedience. Ask Him to forgive you. Ask Him to help you to change. Ask Him to fill you with your spirit, with His Spirit. Some of you right now need to make a commitment that you're going to dig into God's Word. You know, a simple way you can do that is go on to version, find a Bible reading plan, set a time, make an appointment, and just begin to spend time every day. And not just reading it, but asking God to speak to you, seeking God through His Word. We take one of those steps today let's pray and i want to encourage as as i pray for you to pray if you're not a christian you need to call on the name of jesus and ask him to forgive you and come to your your life will you do that you are a christian there's things you need to confess ask his forgiveness ask his help listen if there's some way we can minister to you 
uh, let us know in the comments section or message us at uh, True Life Church on Facebook. You can message me at Jimmy Inman on Facebook. You can email us at info at thetruelifechurch.com, info at thetruelifechurch.com. Or if you're on uh, the, the church online platform, you can click on the prayer button or let somebody know in the chat room that you need to talk, you need to pray, you've got questions about becoming a Christian or something that's going on in your life. We have trained people who will minister to you. We want to minister to you however we can. So you respond as God speaks to you. Let's pray.